Yo! Just like that. Welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. And we've got a wild uh, release we're doing, we're covering this week. Jason, why don't you tell the people what we're, what we're talking about? This week we're talking about Rev 58, the Kiss It Goodbye LP, She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not, released in 1997. You know what? I'm just thinking of something that we didn't ask them. Should I say it now or should I wait for the outro chatter, which you can only hear if you're one of our Patreon subscribers. Outro chatter. Outro chatter. Ooh. Yeah, save it. Hey, that was an unintended plug. I swear. I fucking swear. That just happened to work out quite nicely. All right. So I'm going to write a little note to myself here to remember yeah. to talk about this thing. Um, it was a cool interview. Yeah, dude. Uh, it was awesome. If, if anybody has yeah. seen the, uh, the Instagram promo video that Jason put together already, that was just like a really cool taste that little sound bite of of uh, Huckins talking about fucking war on stage. Yeah, I'd never, you know, I'd never even had any conversations with Huckins before. Talked yeah. to Tim a bunch of times, um, and he's always an absolute pleasure, and just I think has a lot of good stories. And and Keith did not disappoint either. He had just great stories and great, um, you know, it's always interesting to get kind of a different person. Like he came from more of like the grimy metal side of things yeah we, you know you can i think we should commonly refer to that as the abc no rio scene yes because ah. and and like i was a fan of rorschach like they were one of the earlier um like hardcore bands that i heard um and you know super groundbreaking and yeah it was a cool conversation yeah so but before we get into that do you think we should yeah, Greg, you got something that you want to yeah, shout? Yeah, I, 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 I have to give uh, an eternal bit of bow to our dear friend, Oisey, mm. and End Hits Records. Lots of stuff in, in the past couple, past couple months. There's uh, the new Terror album. Um, by the time you're listening to this, it'll have only been out for a couple weeks. It's, it's good. It's, you know, it, I, it's not even 20 minutes long, just brutal, fast, heavy. Um, they have deluxe packaging for that. Cause as you know, with end hits, part of, you know, their quote unquote thing is just having this really beautiful packaging for the records and, and cool vinyl colors and stuff. Um, so new hot water music uh, will finally be out on, on vinyl soon. Uh, and produced by our buddy Brian McTurnan, um, who we'll get to in a moment. Uh, and they're already on the third pressing. Like the first two pressings of this hot water are already sold out. Third pressing has a deluxe die cut cover. So you know that's going to look awesome. They always have really cool artwork, as you know, hot water music. Um, and then, of course, the new Be Well. Um, there's exclusive colors, alternate cover. Um, you know, Revelation did it here in the U.S. and hits overseas. Great record. Don't need to, you know, tell. I probably don't even need to say anymore how great it is because we've talked about it so much. But 
I'm going to say again, just super awesome. And I, uh, I finally got a chance to play the vinyl last night and it's got the cool, at least the Rev one has the uh, silk screened, like, uh, you know, it's a one-sided 12 inch. Mm -hmm. Silk screen cool. B-side? Yeah. Yeah. It looks really cool. So um, go I ahead. don't want to interrupt your end hits talk, but can't you watch the interview you did with Brian also? Where's that kept at? The live Rev, stream that you it's did on with Rev's Brian. Instagram. Yeah, we did a live stream with Brian uh, on the day before the EP came out. We did record it, and hopefully, you know, that's going to go up soon for patrons um, to listen to the audio of it. Um, but yeah, the new Be Well, Hello Son, it's freaking awesome. Um, Stick to your guns. Uh, have a pre-order is going to start soon. Um, that'll have an exclusive live bonus album and then uh, some more represses of Nathan Gray's Rebel Songs and Rebel Psalms EPs and both of those were also produced by Brian so lots of cool stuff if you want end hits stuff you can get it through deathwishinc.com in the US endhitsrecords.com elsewhere if you are a person that feels the need to get every version of the record, you will have your work cut out for you because there's a lot of cool colors and variants and all that stuff. So Bit of Bo to Oise. Love that dude. Same here. Bit of Bo. Yeah, Bit of Bo. All day. Mm -hmm. all uh, I just wanted to say everyone should go check out the Dead Guy documentary with Tim oh, Singer yes. and Keith Huckins. It's called, if you go to the website, Dead Guy Killing Music, Dot com you can rent it for i think 8.95 a little bit underneath nine dollars well worth it awesome videos in there awesome photos awesome flyers good interviews i loved it so awesome. check it out and you know speaking of rev too we talked about the be well record the praise record um i got the physical of that uh in the mail as well uh recently it looks awesome sounds great and uh, so bid it bow to them. By the time this is out, their, their record release show will have already happened. Yeah. Uh, but that's all I, I got. I just want to give a quick bid up bow. I've been doing actually a lot of record layouts lately, um, specifically tape layouts and a couple of CD layouts. And I got a package this week from Sex and Glue, who I've mentioned on here before. Um, Brian, who does the Sex and Glue zine and podcast, he also plays in a band called Lesser Minds, and I did that layout, and I got the cassette, and I also did the layout for the Without Peace um, tape, which I got in the mail. Uh, I didn't do the artwork, the cover art, but I just put everything together. That seems to be my forte of just, you know, I'm not an artist, artiste, but I'm actually somehow good at making a layout, so... Um, I'm also working currently on a layout for a band called Take It to Heart from Orange County, which I'm putting out the promo cassette and CD on, on contraband of their EP. So uh, anyway, uh, bit up to Sex and Glue. And uh, yeah, check out their podcast and zine. Which is the site, contrabandgoods.com, right? That's my site. I yeah. don't carry their stuff. I might, I carry the zine. I don't know what the sex and glue 
podcast website is. I know that they have a big cartel and a band camp and stuff. So you know what? If you're not good at Googling that stuff, then fuck off. Yeah, fair. Yikes. Big yikes on, on Greg's face there with that one. Anyway, <laughs> hey, I think that's a perfect segue to get into this uh, into this interview, right? Let's let's sure. uh it's time. Kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it, kick it. All right, let's get started with what we're here, really here today for, though, and that's to talk about Kiss It Goodbye. What is Jason Rev 58? Rev 58, yeah. 58, wow, I'm on track. Listen, 97. 1997. 1997. So I remember when the, the Kiss It Goodbye demo came out, and I was fucking floored by that thing. It was perfect to me when it came out four songs all fucking ragers like just hit you so quick there was like no information inside you just were like hey this is x dead guy and x rorschach and there's here's four songs fucking deal with it and i thought it was like a a perfect blast of extreme music so i think before we get to the LP, we just need to touch on quickly the formation of the band and recording that because it, it is a different session and lineup than the LP, correct? Correct. Yeah. You want to start, Keith? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so Dead Guy flamed out for me and Tim. And uh, me and Tim were definitely going to keep playing together. Um, you know, that was kind of the whole, you know, part of the, the, the split with Dead Guy. Um, and uh, I basically had it in my mind that I was going to get Andrew from Rorschach to play drums because, uh, uh, I mean, the experience with him and Rorschach, like, he's just the most, uh, me and him, like, we don't need to talk, we can just play. Like, you know, it's just, it's just, it's super easy with him. And I was determined to get him back. Um, really? Die One Sixteen was was yeah. breaking up, and also randomly, Tom uh, from also from Warshock was moving back from Germany, and Tom was talking with Andrew about starting something. So we kind of just decided to put it all together, and then Andrew really wanted um, Cooper from die went 16 to, to play second guitar you know he, he really melted together with him so that's you know that that's how that all came together and it came together pretty quick actually and then i want to say i tim was ian your hookup ian love uh for the demo i don't know how we actually connected with him um maybe through i don't know it might have been through i actually don't know because I never met him before that or since. Okay. All right. If you never met him before, then it had to be through Cooper and Andrew. Yeah, that makes but, sense. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That was the last time I saw him was when we recorded, and we we got this. Mm-hmm. We, that's where he recorded the demo. Yeah, that's right. Now, yeah. I remember I was I'd wrapped up college more or less. I think I had like one class, so I was doing a lot of temping, and I remember. I was working at the headquarters of Nobody Beats the Wiz, like right off the New Jersey Turnpike. And I remember like being there and like sneaking around with my headphones and like writing lyrics to the demo, you know. And my life back then was driving up and down the turnpike to to practice with Kissing Goodbye. Actually, we practiced in Williamsburg at first. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's all. All of a sudden everything was a major commute because Dead Guy was in my basement. You know, and uh, kissing goodbye maybe <laughs> probably sounds like what I feel like when I'm in a car all the time. <laughs> yeah, let me let me just say this: you can eat it because that used to be my life. And dead guys commuting down to the road. Mm-hmm. I didn't complain. I just nearly died a couple of times driving home at night. But I didn't well, know. Sure. You know, you're young and dumb. You don't really care about it. Stop for the week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it came together fast. I mean, I remember writing. What's on the demo? Is Fire Drill on the demo? I know After School Special. Right? Fire Drill, After School Special, Hartley. Man Thing? Actually, Fire Drill is not. It's Man Thing, After School Special, Target Practice, and Hartley. All right, okay. okay. Um, yeah, mostly what I remember was like, yeah, it was all of a sudden, literally, it was like, I blinked and we're, I'm in, I'm basically in Rorschach, right? Like, it's, it's, it, it, guitar, bass, drum, everybody's from Rorschach, except me. Um, so it was kind of cool. Um, and like Tom and I think Tom's a little skeptical, like didn't know, like am I moving back to Germany for this? I don't know this guy, Tim, that kind of thing. I don't think he knew anything about that guy, but we clicked right away. Like everything just clicked right away. Um, and the fact that Tom and Andrew were like this locked in rhythm section from ground zero, I, I think it was just, and the fact that they had all written together, right? Like in Rorschach. Um, and I think, you know, you take your experiences from the bands you've done since then, so we didn't sound like Rorschach's part two. But uh, I don't know, I think it just clicked. I think we were all in the zone. I felt like I was in the zone from Dead Guy. And yeah, those, I feel like we wrote fast in the beginning, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, the one thing I remember was like laying vocals down in practice. And Andrew's funny, like in practice, he sits backwards too, right? At least he did. And I think, and and he would listen to things, and I remember the one thing Andrew ever said to me was like, "You're singing that too much, like like Dead Guy." And I'm like, "Oh, I don't know how to not sing like Dead Guy," but I sort of took that as a challenge to be like, "Is there a way for me to slightly change my approach?" Um, and I sort of subconsciously maybe tried to do something a little different. I'm not even sure what that would be. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because I, I hear different vocal vocals than dead guy like obviously you can tell it's you you can't change your voice but i feel like some of the screams are higher and Mm. longer than dead guy it's not as like deep in the throat it's actually a little more i mean the whole band to me is a lot more frantic than dead guy but that really comes off in the vocals Mm. so that's interesting that you were kind of pushed to do yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah i find every band i'm in it pushes me in a different way right the music's you know different enough and i like to i i mean i know my lane i know what i'm good at but i, I like to try to challenge myself um 
But yeah, um, what else about that time, Keith? <clears throat> we were five piece. We had Cooper. Yeah, we had Cooper, <laughs> which which started out great, but got a little got a little weird. And and uh, you know, I've, I've reconnected with him since. So you know, again, time heals all wounds. You know, totally. But yeah, uh, <laughs> he had some ideas. He kind of just was like not on the same page as the rest of us. Right. And and it was like he. Uh, I was really unhappy with his guitar sound mm. and it just, uh, you know, and I couldn't, couldn't get him, you know, on board, um, gently. Right. You know, I, I you know, I didn't want to be a pushy, I, I didn't want to be a dictator. Um, but we also weren't in the mood to, uh, compromise, right? Yeah. Like that just wasn't part of, yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah. we 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 definitely took a lot, you know, from you know the the am rep, noise rock stuff. Um, his guitar sound was was pretty tinny and like trebly, which you know a lot of those bands didn't pull off, but that was not what we were going for. Right. We were we were going for brutal with two O's. <laughs> yeah, and I just feel like he want like yeah, and I was really it's one of those things where it's like love the guy, but I, I feel like he wanted to be in a different band. Just couldn't almost admit it because he was like, you know, maybe we should all wear jumpsuits, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't think you're on the same, like, you know, like this is just not who we are. Like that's cool when bands do that, right? Like we're not Nation of Ulysses either. We're not gonna show up, we're not gonna wear like cool suits. You know, it's just not like who we are, right? Like and I think a lot of times that becomes an energy suck when someone always is like. What do we want left when we all just agreed to go right? You know what I mean? Like it's just sort of like ah, like you know. And and I mean the good thing was he went on to do some really cool stuff. Like I yeah. love the shit he did with Made Out of Babies. Like I thought that was great. You know, I don't want to be in that band, but I'll listen right. to it all day long. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was the beginning. I mean, I so think. Who, who talked? I'm sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask you if just if Victory had any sort of first pass at uh, signing the band or wanting to sign the band after the demo came out and was circulating. No, I mean, it's funny thing is like, um, like Dead Guy, like Fixation was not even out when we left, right? So we never even played on that record. So. I had zero relationship with Tony, like zero. I met him twice, maybe, right? Um, I don't think I signed a contract. It happened so fast, like dead guy being on victory and the whole thing happening. Um, and you know, I think it was like it would that would never would have happened because that would have been like I don't know, asking Thanos to join the Avengers or something. Like it's just like. We're not to be a comic book geek, but I couldn't think of a better metaphor because it was like we, us and Dead Guy were just like no fucking way. Like, I mean, I couldn't imagine if we played a show together at that point. Like, it might have been fucking mayhem, right? Like, because we were all just young and stupid, and, and every all the shit means the world when you're in your twenties. And we were like, fuck that guy. And I'm sure Dead Guy was like, fuck Tim and Keith, and they don't even want to know the name of their new band. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, I'm sure, so I'm sure Dead Guy was having nothing of even a whisper of us being on Victory. It didn't even occur to me. Um, 
it just occurred to me, like for me, like the last label I cared about was Revelation. Like Victor is like this new label I didn't even understand. Um, I mean, all cards on the table. I've never listened to a Victory band, honestly. Maybe Bloodlet. Are were they a Victory? Yeah. Yes, they were. Yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, that, that's how old and set in my ways I am, right? Like, I followed Revelation. I don't know, up until like Quicksand and like the Gorilla Biscuits record, maybe, right? Um, that and that's sort of where I get set in stone. Um, and so my thing was like the only label I knew was Revelation, and I had, I pitched I had pitched Dead Guy to Revelation, and I don't think I think I might have talked to Jordan or whoever was doing A and R back then. And I don't think they quite understood what Dead Guy was doing. Um, no fault of their own. Like, we barely understood it. But uh, um, And then I think because Dead Guy reached some popularity and um, when I, I can't remember if I reached out to them or they reached out to me, but the, the revelation just felt like uh, the natural place. Not sure if that ended up being true. <laughs> yeah, what did you think about what was going on with Revelation at the time? With the bands yeah, like I'm trying to think of and... what was like. So we just did an episode of Sh with Shades Apart, um, and then before that was what the Rage Against the Machine ten inch and right. the Sea of Seven Inch. So we're in that era of stuff. I was gonna say I, I was a big fan of Shades Apart, but I um, we were all about us. Like yeah. I'm not gonna mince words. We really didn't give a fuck about who else was on the label. It was about us. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, like I said, I love Shades Apart, and uh, you know, before I was kind of scrolling through, and I'm like, you know, uh, uh, like uh, Whirlpool and and Sense Field and stuff like that, and I just um, we hung out with some of those guys, they're cool guys, just bands I was not interested in at all. Um, I just think it was, you know, a label that that definitely had a name and a push so you know i was you know there for that at the time yeah there, for me it was a little bit deeper connection i mean at least i oh, felt no jordan i didn't know yeah i, and, I couldn't think about you know, it. like i remember being some records when the war zone seven inch came out right and like to me revelation was like new york's discord like those first six seven inches were sort of archiving new york right like yeah. the all seven inch and you know all that stuff right side by side and um, you know, every every release was like a band that was already sort of known in New York, and it was felt like it was getting sort of documented. You know, so that like that's always just sort of stuck. The you know the together comp, like all that stuff. Um, so I just had this like it was one of those things like if I was a DC kid to be on Discord, even if I don't like shudder to think something wouldn't matter to me. It'd be like this is fucking Discord, right? Like it's it sort of felt like that for me. Um, yeah. Was there anyone else that you guys talked to? Say that again? Any other labels that you guys talked to about putting out the full length? Yeah. There was so. a little talk with Eric, but it was very preliminary. Like, I don't I don't think it ever got up the chain beyond mm -hmm. the guys who worked at Eric who really liked this. You know, I don't think it ever got the dig or anything like that. But but some of the guys at Eric were, you know, in yeah, for when that coalesce seven inch came out on earache it seemed like it was fucking out of left field right you're like yeah this this record is on earache right. okay cool so i think because of that connection maybe um 
kiss a goodbye could have you know had a place on there but yeah well it, at the out. time um uh gordon conrad was working there who went on to do escape artist records mm. um so like he was you know he was all into the you know noisy chaotic hardcore um you know in fact i think i, I remember him on more than one occasion be like dude i just i wish he'd let me pull the trigger but i you know he's like you know it's not my call i'm like you know, you know whatever i was I would have liked that better because, man, I would have rated their fucking cupboards bare. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, you know, definitely, like, I felt when Quicksand came out, I thought Rev turned the corner and that Quicksand was, like, their dag nasty, right? And um, I almost thought, like, maybe Kissing Goodbye is almost like blasting on Wishing Well, right? Like, and funny thing is what was shocked me back then and now it's like it seems really popular is like i felt like nobody was doing what we did in terms of like let's be fucking brutal right well it's just like like did nobody else grow up listening to like black flag damaged and you know i, I don't know ssd was fucking brutal all these bands were brutal and then uh everybody got sort of quaint i thought right like Everybody's really stylish, you know. Um, I was like, I don't know. So I felt like other. I felt like there was going to be some other bands, and there was maybe a couple, but it didn't feel like. I felt like we were like this out on an island in that regard. Like, um, and people dug it, right? In that weird, like, cement shoes clap at the end of a song kind of a way, and then buy all our merch. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's kind of a weird time in hardcore because I feel like it's way better now. Honestly, I have an easier time finding a bunch of shit I like now than I did then. You know, like I think I like Engine Kid a lot, but it wasn't really hardcore. It was more like Slink. You know. Yeah, like I, I was. I'm thinking too in context of my, you know, myself. Like I didn't, I didn't know Kiss. I knew of the name Kiss a Goodbye because I actually was a fan of Rorschach. Um, but in 97, you know, I was 16. I was all about like the stuff that was going on in the tri-state area of like floor punch, hands <laughs> tied, you know, that, the, the, the stuff that was just, you know, I, which I still love. Am I allowed to like, laugh when I hear the name floor punch? Cause I think it's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so, you know what I mean? So, so like, that was like, you know, being from the East coast, being a teenager, like that was the stuff that I, um, gravitated towards so i do wonder if this being on rev if maybe there were you know it could it could work twofold right like somebody that was in that could be like well it's on rev i'm gonna check it out or they could just be like what is this well, doing on rev right well i like, gotta say as someone who was into that fucked up noisy stuff like coalesce bloodlet overcast that was my shit in 1997 and i was really surprised that this was coming out on rev because in real time, I didn't like Shades Apart and I didn't really like Whirlpool and Sensefield. I wanted the stuff that was coming out on like Edison and uh, Second Nature and Victory. I, I fucking right. loved Earth Crisis and Snapcase at the time. So I wanted to hear the most brutal, uh, spazzy, weird shit that I could. And so, like I said, that Kiss a Goodbye demo and then the progression to revelation records i was like huh this like <laughs> th this is on this uh, all right, right cool 
get some brand recognition a little bit like oh rev and it's like you know the kind of stuff i yeah, I like. and, and I think maybe to my interests. I think maybe this like opened the door. This record opened the door for a lot of weird shit that would come later, like Himsa mm-hmm. and Since right. by Man and all that like weird screamo shit that we're gonna get into later, like <laughs> on the might of princes. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't like the like, like you were I'm saying the shades the, apart sense field, and Texas you were saying like the first six records. I didn't really enjoy those as much. Like I liked Gorilla Biscuits, but like I didn't like Warzone growing up. And because uh, Warzone's fucking terrible. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't blame you. It's yeah. one of those things where it's like um, I was like it more like it captured like I was going to those shows and the shows sure. were great, right? But um, I don't ever play any of that music on purpose anymore. Um, I feel like it was like. You know, I compare, I was like, you know, I was talking about um, Tim McMahon, who I think is a great, great guy, right? And dead guy played a ton of shows at Mouthpiece. I'm not a Mouthpiece fan. I don't think he's a dead guy fan. He's probably more of a no escape fan. And that's okay, right? Like, I still admire the guy. still think he's great. still think people need to be keep, keep making music and 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 of whatever genre they want, right? But I feel like... I already lived youth of today and all that stuff and went to CBs and went to me. And I'm like, and I don't need the next, you know, iteration of that. Right. And, but, but not everybody's lucky enough to be me that went to all those shows and, and was there for the emergence of all that. Right. So um, that's sort of how I sort of categorize those things in a way. Right. Um, yeah. Cause I know like for me, like mouthpiece hands tied, you know, to, to, to pick on Tim, who's a dear friend, loved, loved him. Um, I was glad because I didn't get to see, right. I mean, now you can see Youth of Today every weekend <laughs> if you want to, but like, like back in the nineties, I didn't get to see Youth of Today or Gorilla Biscuits or Judge. So I was so thankful that there was those bands, like we mentioned, Floor Punch and Ten Yard Fight and Mouthpiece, Hands Tied and Right, they, they carry the torch, you know. Yeah, it's funny because you know, you said today when they came out, we're sort of like, Oh, here's an SSD antidote ripoff. You know, what I mean, I'm sure the Boston guys, you know, and I remember like being at Venus Records and like looking like a straight edge kid and some older punk guy who like um saw the records i was getting he's like oh kids are still doing the straight edge thing i thought that was over with minor threat and he's talking about how he saw minor threat back in the you know um and he was so cool about it he's like oh it's cool people are still doing this shit i thought it was gonna die um because i you know i sort of thought it was all gonna die too like um i'm surprised how vibrant it is today right so much different and i'm just glad it's gotten way more it's opened up again. Like it's way broader than it was. I feel like when, you know, we, we sort of hung it up back in the late nineties, you know? Yeah. It's definitely broad. And it's like, what I think it's a good thing that it's broader. It doesn't mean I like, I have to like, like there's certain types no. of hardcore that I just don't identify with or like, but it has every right to, uh, you know, exist. And I'm glad that, you know, that it, it didn't just stay in a, in a, in a box. Um, I wanted to ask about the move to the West Coast. Um, when, when did that 
happened. So you did the demo. I see the post office boxes in New York. We also we played a bunch of shows. Did we play a bunch of shows, Keith, or just one or two before we left? No, it was like like a half a dozen, eight. Like it wasn't a lot. But like it was like CDs, right? We played CDs before we left. We CDs twice. We played Coney Island High. I know we played a few other places, but right. So we played some killer bills, I thought, before we left. I mean, our first show was opening for Napalm Death. It was ridiculous. You know, um, when I think I I don't I don't think I realized then like what a big deal that was to have that. I think did Rich Hall set that up? I don't even know, but that was fucking. Uh, I want no. That might have been Tyler. That might have been one of Tyler. How Tyler? But actually, I, I really think we got that because um, I think I got that through Gordon oh. at Earache is how we got hooked up. But I think Tyler might have put on the show. Yeah, that and how did their fans take to you guys? I can't remember. <laughs> I'd be lying. Yeah, I, somewhere, oh, man, I, guess, I think I got interviewed right after that. And someone shared that with me recently. Um, well, I think we were like okay. We weren't like fantastic. It was like our first show. And I remember thinking like, yeah, we we did all right, you know. Um, I felt like there were a lot of expectations on us, being like the ex dead guy stuff, and the, like there that felt like a WWE plot or something, you know. Um, and I remember like, yeah, it was packed, and people 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 in New York. I mean, I don't know. I always felt like New York had a lot of love for for our band, so. Uh, it, it was a good first show for sure. I wish I remembered watching Napalm Death because they're a great live band. I got to see them a couple of times this year. Uh, there's a YouTube video that I watched of Kiss Goodbye playing Seabees, and there was a comment on the video that said, I was at this show, and Keith is the only guy in a band that has ever truly scared me. Lots of guys <laughs> postured like that, but that dude was the real deal. So, what was your approach to playing live and would you agree with that uh i mean it's still there i, I was i was going to war every time like you know it's it's uh you know it's me against everyone else you know it, it's it's uh you know it's a prison riot in my mind um and and especially when we would play smaller places and i mean this goes back to rorschach like when we would play a basement show and it was you know you know, I say it was packed, but it was, you know, only 80 people in a really tight space. Um, you know, I'd go up to the, you know, the, you know, four or five, six kids who were like in my immediate area and be like, if I hit you, it's your fault. It's on you. Be aware. Um, I, I, I've definitely talked to people who like, wear like a badge <laughs> of honor, like, Keith Hawkins hit me right here with a guitar. <laughs> Rich Hall has a scar and he's very proud of it. There you go. <laughs> I mean, Huckins is also known for being like, right here, my space. This is my space. Anything mm-hmm. happens here, no fault of my, like, you know, one of those things. Um, I learned yeah. to sort of like uh, stand still in a way, because I knew, like, in my, you know, on either side of me, it was like two Tasmanian devils, you know, like, because Rusnak would also just be flying around with his base hanging out by his, you know, his knees. And, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna be in the center of this storm, and these guys are just going fucking ape shit. And um, as much as I threw my guitar around, Tom threw his around way more. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> Still do. It's fun. Yeah. So you so you played a couple shows, and then you head out west, right? 
yeah, there's a we, there's a caravan that went out west. So um, I think we rented a U-Haul and maybe a couple of cars followed. Like what happened was like we formed the band on the premise of moving to Seattle, right? So everybody knew this was happening. Um, and but you know, was, we I think we took the summer to get ready for it or whatever. And by the time we left, it was like we a friend of ours from Philly came, a couple more friends from Rutgers tagged along. So it was like this caravan. Um, Rusnak took his, we picked up his four-year-old daughter at the time in state college. And she was like in a tutu and, you know, clear plastic slippers, like high, high heels, this four-year-old running around. And um, she ended up giving us all lice by the time we got to Seattle. So that was fun because... <laughs> Because they were squat there, like she, we, we basically saved her from living in a squat, like a crust punk squat, I think, like in the Lower East Side or something. Like, um, but yeah, part of this was like Tom took custody of his four year old daughter, and he, he, I think he drove his own car. And Rusnak, I don't know if you remember what he looks like, but skinny dude with one giant dreadlock, right? Um, and it's, it's this crazy little four year old girl, and it was like a movie, like Little Miss Sunshine or something, right? And he drove the whole time with no shirt, but he wore a seatbelt. And the way we were exposed to the sun on the trip, he was getting tan. So he had a big white sash of a you know, tan line across his chest. So we'd get at these rest stops and he's out there with his, and his girl would pop a squat and piss anywhere because she was just this little sort of rabid child. Um, she was awesome. And uh, so it's like, this little girl wearing nothing but like a tutu and weird, you know, like princess slippers running around and him with his dreadlock and no shirt and a weird striped tan line. And we just look like this freak show at every rest stop we went to. Um, yeah, then like, I don't know, we made it, we drove across country, made it, made it there and all crashed at a friend's house and drove him nuts for a couple of weeks while we looked for places to live. We had no plan. Like none of us had a place to live when we got there. We just showed up with a giant u-haul truck at my poor friend's house gabe um and lived there for a couple of weeks while we all tried to find different places to live and then keith stayed back i think as a work right yeah i stayed back to make a little bit more cash to, to get everything ready i was i was only like two or three weeks behind it wasn't that right that far and then why would why was seattle the the because you said you you know, had the intention at least to go there. Um, what was it about Seattle? Uh, well, it's basically where Dead Guy disintegrated, right? Like we we got sort of marooned in Seattle. Um, and like, so my really good friend, um, who, he's actually friends with everybody from Dead Guy, but he's one of my best friends, this guy Gabe. He'd gone out to Seattle for grad school. And so he's living out there. And so when Dead Guy's tour sort of imploded in Seattle, I stayed with Gabe in this really nice house that he's renting. Um, we'd literally go for a walk in the morning and get like lattes at this coffee shop that was like near Kurt Cobain's house. Like <laughs> I was having this like great Seattle experience, you know, like, and I'm like sort of, and I, I, I was done with college and like my then girlfriend now wife is also, we were both hating living in Jersey with no plan. And I, I was like, I, I was happy because I had a band, but she was sort of languishing and we were just sort of itching to do something. Um, 
And I just sort of fell in love with Seattle because we were there for a couple of days. And I probably confided in Keith on the way back because there's basically the Tim and Keith camp and then the other guys camp. Um, I told Keith, I was like, I think I want to move to Seattle and just do the band remote. And Keith's like, that's not going to fly. Am I telling this right, Keith? It, it, uh, to the best of my recollection, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It was a long time ago. Yeah. But basically, Keith, Keith knew the other guys wouldn't go for it. I was delusional. I was like, oh, we'll just tour and yeah, blah, blah, blah. Right. I, I, back then, nothing seemed like a big deal. Like, what? If, so, what if I live in Seattle and everybody lives there? You know? Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, also we, on the ride back, we were pretty done with Dead Guy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. None of us really survived that as far as a group dynamic. Um, you know, I think Pops is Switzerland. I think he's he's so he's so easygoing. Uh-huh. You know, um, he was he just sort of went where the wind blew. But definitely, you know, Dave and Crispy were there, and they were like the guys who sort of came up with the idea for Dead Guy in a lot of ways, right? There was those two hanging out, not wanting to be in Lifetime, um, coming up with that idea. So I, you know, I feel like those are the two camps, and uh, yeah. But Seattle was just because I fell in love with it and I wanted to move somewhere. It was pretty much that simple. And it's pretty far from Jersey. So if you're not happy with Jersey, can't really yeah. do that and much. My, and my stepbrother, my stepbrother moved out there. The guy who did Boiling Point with me. Um, he moved out there. Like he lived with Greg from Brotherhood and Ron. And then he lived with the bass player from Foo Fighters. Like he went to all the early Pearl Jam shows when they were Mookie Blaylock. He, he saw Nirvana play Nevermind, the songs from Nevermind at the OK Hotel before that record. Like he's, he went so many iconic shows and I would hear about it all the time. So it just seemed like this cool city, right? Super affordable. Like you could rent the house for 800 bucks a month or something crazy back then, right? Like in city limits, like, you know, just this cool, affordable town. It had a thriving punk scene. Uh, everybody I met there was cool. Um, so it's nice to move somewhere and like sort of know a couple of people, you know, right. that was part of the thinking too. So how did you guys hook up with, so for the LP, you know, we talked about you get on Rev. How'd you hook up with Billy Anderson? Who's done a lot of, you know, heavy records. Like I know he did sick of it all scratch the surface, I believe. And um, I guess neurosis stuff, right? Like he did. Yeah. Neurosis um, stuff. How did that happen, Keith? I have no idea. <laughs> I do not remember how we hooked up with Billy at all. Why do I think it was Andrew? But would it have been Andrew? It could have been. It, it could have been through Rob. It could have been through Rev. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I, de- I think I definitely said at one point, like, I want Billy Anderson because um, Neurosis Through Silver and Blood Mm. Um, which you know to this day remains one of my top three records is you know like I was like I I want to be that pummeling I want to I want to record something that fucking punches you in the face at the beginning and never stops punching you in the face till the end um and uh, you know and and you know obviously everyone loves Steve Albini um for one I thought that we couldn't afford him because I didn't you know know his work you know his his morals at that point i was just like he did nirvana and also i didn't think he was quite right for us for what i wanted for a guitar sound 
because I wanted I definitely agree. something way more dirtier, you know, way more metal, which is not something that, that, that Albini really records. Although the last, you know, four or five Neurosis records he's done have all been fucking astonishing. Um, huh. So I didn't know I, I'll, I'd be lying if I said I remembered how we hooked up with Billy Anderson, but I definitely remember being like, that's who I want to do it. So you were stoked, obviously, regardless of oh, how yeah. it oh, happened. Yeah. You were stoked, yeah. and I and think it's a, it's a that, great fit. And find out he's a fucking great dude. Like, yeah, yeah, he's aces. Um, yeah, I remember him just being a shit ton of fun to work with, um, and like I remember him like, you know, like for me, it's like if someone understands like my vocals, like my approach to vocals, it makes it so much better. That was not a given back then, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's way easier now to find a studio where it's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm in this lane. But that lane back then was like, what? And even then, like, we, I think we recorded what was that Ironwood Studios, Keith? Where and those guys, yeah, I, you know, I, I think they're bragging about having, I don't know, Deep Purple recorded there. So I don't even know, like some classic rock bands. And I'm just like, oh, it was um, gonna, the. The board was used on one of the Sabbath records. There you go. Oh, that's fucking great, actually. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> but, you know, if you, you think Ozzy's going to come out of my mouth, you're going to be really sad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. The one, one of the great things about Billy is even though he's a, a West Coast guy, he is a fucking, he, he could be from Jersey. He's a fucking oh, yeah. next, next level ball breaker. Oh, I totally. I don't remember what what track it was, but I, you know, I, I I did a fucking run through on the guitars, and uh, afterwards he's like, "Is that how you're gonna play it? Or are you gonna play it like you mean it?" And I was like, "You motherfucker! Ooh. Oh fuck you!" <laughs> uh, going back to the yeah. vocals, Tim, how did you? What was your lane? What was your approach? We talked about it a little bit with Bitter Branches, but I wanted to hear about it for Kissy Goodbye. I'm trying to think if like uh, I can't remember if Billy put. Let me just hold the mic. He might have. I remember you, you he, always hold the mic. You yeah, held the mic, and I think he built me some sort of like a cocoon or something. Yeah, like, you were in this like little. They took a bunch of those, uh, you know, movable, you know, soundproof walls. Right. And they, they made you like a little, you know, a little yeah, a Tim cocoon. Yeah. And yeah. I, I want to. Did you you and you had like very low light because you still had the lyrics with you. For some of the songs, oh, I'm sure. Yes, there's a crutch, but we practiced yeah. so fucking much. I, I'm sure I didn't. I mean, I remember I might have done "Sick Day" in one take, which is like a fucking seven minute song. I couldn't believe it. You know, like uh -huh. it's one of those things. Um, yeah, the lyrics are more of a crutch, and I didn't wear glasses back then, so I could probably read shit in low light. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, as as one brief aside, just because Tim just brought it up. Kiss a Goodbye practiced more than any band I've ever been in. Like when we were, before we moved out to Seattle, we would do probably six days a week, four hours at a clip, like, yeah, yeah. you know, holding, you know, full-time jobs. Like we were all like, it was, and it was really fucking loud. Like, yeah, like, we always, and we played at full volume. Like we didn't like yeah. realize like, oh, you can turn down. Literally, we were playing sets. It was like a show that no one went to. Like it was stupid that's like, but cool. That's some real black flag <laughs> shit. Yeah, that, yeah I was, was just gonna say that's like the, that's real the, uh, hardcore. 
That's that probably SST. the only non-comic book that I've read, you know, in the last 30 years is Get in the Van, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what can you remember about the drums? Recording uh, the drums for the LP. Oh, I, 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 um, I was, you know, working at the time, so I would kind of like roll in a little bit late. Um, yeah, that's really Andrew questions. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah, no like, you know, yeah. I mean, they came out monstrous. Like I love the drum sound on that record, but you know, anything technical, I have, you know, no idea. I do remember that we did record it in a big room. Like that, that one room was, was, you know, daunting you know, just the size of the room they recorded the drums in. How did you write a song like Ammunition? How did I write it? Yeah, like how did you write that with Andrew? Uh, a lot of times I would just, you know, a riff would pop up and then, you know, I'd be like, you know, Andrew you know, got this riff and, um, play it for him and then we'd run through it you know a couple of times till we hit on something and you know i don't remember the details of ammunition um but i definitely remember you know it'd be like i'd come up with this riff and then like you know you, you play it you know whatever four eight sixteen times and then i'm pretty sure he like after i stopped he played a different drum beat and i was like oh Oh, so now I got to write something over that. Okay, fuck you. Game on. Let's do this. And that's that's a lot of the way we wrote. Oh, yeah. A lot of the time was you know, you know, off of one another. Like you know, well, you know, how you know how do you think it should go next? And he come up with a drum part and be like, all right, now I got to write over that and 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 uh, and go that way. I was gonna say, Keith, you pretty much brought all the initial riffs, right? I don't I don't know if Tom Tom could literally write on the fly. And like play to anything but i can't remember if he ever so i mean you know I, I know i know for a fact that fire drill was written in the studio hmm. like like that was that was one that, that like we were just fucking around and i was like oh wait this riff sounds okay hmm. um and because in fact i want to say that was in williamsburg yeah I, I pretty much remember it yeah um but with Tom, like, you know, I, you know, basically me and Andrew would flesh out parts and then like, you know, I'd be like, Tom, I'd be like, like, do a Jesus lizard thing here, you know, and he would do a Jesus lizard thing, be like, okay, perfect, great, move on. Yeah. And you had played with those guys for a long time at this point, right, Keith? I mean, I mean, you know, you know, in retrospect, Rorschach was kind of brief. Rorschach was 89 to 93. Uh -huh. And Tom was in Rorschach from 90, actually just two years. Okay. So it wasn't um, like you had grown up playing with this dude, but you definitely no, spent but, some time but, with him. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, me and Andrew definitely learned together and off of each other. Um. And, you know, and, and Tom was writing it, you know, in, in the thick of it, especially, you know, writing Protestant. Um, so, but yeah, but I, but I mean, like, you know, like I said, like me, me and Andrew, like it's unspoken when we're together, you know, we can just, uh, you know, it just happens. So how long did it take to record? How long were you in the studio um, for, for the LP? It was about two weeks, but it wasn't like a solid like it wasn't like two weeks of 12 hour days mm. you know like i would i would 
work and I'd roll in at six o'clock and I'd record from like six to nine, you know, and, and I did double track all the guitars on it. Um, you know, and, you know, the other guys were a little bit more flexible. So like, you know, Andrew and Tom recorded a lot of the basic tracks, you know, and they'd be done by the time I got there. And then but I want to say a couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Then I want to say like, you know, you know, so we probably spent about six days recording and four days mixing, I think would be a, a safe bet. Yeah, sounds about right. I also remember like, I think, didn't, wasn't Damien just sort of hanging around? Well, yeah, he was, I mean, he was our roommate, you know? Yeah. Me, Andrew, and Damien had an apartment together. And so, like, Damien, um, so, so many of the illustrations from the LP, Damien was, like, just hanging out in the studio. Damien Johnson from, he's in Great Falls now, but he's in Nine Iron Spitfire, I think, at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Undertow, playing enemy. Yeah, he's been in a million bands. Um, and he did, you know, he did the cover art for, all the kissing goodbye stuff, the seven inch, the seven inches, and the LP. And eventually um, was in the band too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he was like, I think he either asked or saw my lyrics. So like as we were recording, he was like just doing these doodles and um ended up using a ton of them for the record. You know, I don't even know if that was like the but uh yeah, he just gave me this sort of treasure trove of stuff to play with. That's one of that's one of my distinct memories, actually. Nice. I was going to ask you about that. What was your favorite illustration of the bunch? Um, it's funny that my favorite illustration is probably the the choke single. You know, um, wherever that I had a I have it in here somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Like the target practice preacher split, actually, not mm-hmm. the choke single. Um, where it's like the the target. Like I fucking love, like to me, I'm like, that was just so fucking good the way there's two sides to that. Um yeah, no, well, probably the cover. Um I'm trying to think there's not a lot, not a ton of interior by him. Like, oh that's it's funny because like so there's the cover which is like this crop in of the face but that's actually he drew this whole scene of a guy by a window with a gun but i didn't want a guy with a gun on the cover of the record mm-hmm. plus we already did that with dead guy um and, and i just sort of didn't want that i didn't want this narrative of a guy shooting somebody on the cover of our record um so i zoomed in because i really love the face and then i used that gun for what if like so that's from the same illustration so somewhere oh, there's, nice. a, there's a full scene yeah i fucking he's so, his illustrations are so fucking great um so this is where we say that rev needs to repress the lp and get some new uh t-shirt designs right jason yeah bring back the classic no bring yeah. back the classic with the back cover on there i feel like that's such a classic kiss of goodbye shirt and then yeah. the hmm. the uh oh the hand being strapped down yeah that was yeah, that yeah. was rad and then the voodoo dolls, yeah. Yeah, that one I did actually. That's oh, from... you did that one? Oh yeah, awesome. That's on our demo. Yeah. I actually remember, like, you know, being with you at the Mac, fucking, you know, manipulating that image. Like that. That's that was funny. a fun night. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's based on a voodoo doll, but I thought it'd be cooler if it was just this sort of androgynous little being. Mm -hmm. uh, like it had hair. Like I, I, I scanned it from something else because I steal everything and then alter it, you know? Um, but yeah, I love how kind of cute and creepy it is at the same time. Yeah, same. <laughs> what, what else can you tell us about the layout for this? It looks like you took a kind of Ralph Steadman, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas kind of style font. Um, you nailed it. Yeah, I wanted that. Um, I mean, Dead Guy was like literally like um, deliberately like this explosion of design. And with Kissing Goodbye, I felt like we were more of a refined machine in a way. Like, I don't know, we practiced harder. Like everything was just like, mm. so I wanted the, the design to be a little bit more Focus. consistent, right? Like typographically and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I grew up on, I mean, Fear and Loathing is one of my favorite books. Ralph Steadman's one of my favorite artists. Um, you know, I grew up on comics. I still, and I, I so I, I like page turners. Like to me, the CD booklet, like CDs might, I might like them better than vinyl just because I fucking love CD booklets, you know? Yeah. Um, so I always just like to make page turners. So to me, and it's like, some of it's like shit I find. Some of it's like actual objects I scan. When in doubt, I'll doodle something myself. But yeah, I scoured for a font so I wouldn't have to handwrite it. That looked like, so that's a good catch. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, we got to get you to come on sometime and just talk strictly early hardcore art with us and everything that you've done because I always feel like it's so um overlooked i mean I, I i don't think that's the best way to say it but i just think you've done a lot of awesome design stuff that maybe a, people don't know about so yeah no it's, i appreciate that yeah i get that a lot like yeah we got your number now you're, you're, you're <laughs> our, hooks, <laughs> our hooks are in you're, yes. you're <laughs> but yeah no i agree and and you know i'm not a artist but that stuff is totally interesting to me as to how what you know what goes into it and you know I've yeah, learned I mean, a lot from Jason it, too but yeah part of it's like you know that's what drew me to shit in the beginning too is like Winston Smith artwork and Pettibone. Pettibone, you know like I don't know like like you even flyer art right like there was some killer flyer art back in the day like you know there's this one fucking agnostic front flyer that was like reused over and over again in New York. And like, or even like I Billy, right? You did the Gorilla Biscuit stuff and we played, I think, bass for side by side. Like mm -hmm. all these, you know, all these great artists doing all this cool underground art. Um, so to me, that's always been part of it. Like it's like, and then, the, you know, not to talk too much shit, but all, all the, uh, the youth crew shit I was like, if I see another fucking picture of kids jumping on the back cover of a fucking record, I'm like, Jesus Christ! It's like, it's becoming a parody of itself. I was, I was at the Anthrax at a Wide Awake show, and they're like, Hey, our record's coming out, and we're taking pictures for the back cover of the record, so everybody go crazy, right? So like, they're barely playing the fucking music, and everybody's jumping, and people are taking pictures try to get that fucking picture for the back of the record and to me that's you couldn't be less interesting i don't even understand what that is that's like yearbook photos or something i don't even know you know 
you might as well be leaning against the tree. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I, just, it's like, I was like, it's so uninteresting. I was like, do you have nothing to express? You know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't understand that. Um, I mean, think about how iconic Out of Step is, right? And this is the band that sort of spawned so much of this. Or even the, the SSD Get It Away cover, like Pusshead is another one, right? Like there's just these iconic, so I don't know. I feel like there, there's so much, there was so much out there to like get inspired by, you know? Um, that's all. End of diatribe. Well said. <laughs> we agree. We agree. Because I, you know, after a while when stuff gets played out, like I'm thinking about like, you know, even just, you know, when, when Jason did the layout, this is on a tangent, but for like, for our, for the one up discography, I remember being like, yeah, I don't want to have something that looks like, you know, a finger point. Right, right, right. Like it's been, people have done it better. Like really it should have stopped, like break down the walls cover. That's like, yeah, that's the, that's the perfection of that image. And after that, it's like, you can't top that. And like youth of today in context, right? Like, I don't, I'm curious if Keith feels the same way. I think Keith was a fan. I don't know. But um, I saw them open for Reagan Youth in like 85 or 86 at Danceteria. Didn't know who they were. I went there to see Reagan Youth, right? And this, the opening, you know, they're the opening band. I think just the two of them played Reagan Youth and Youth Today. And these guys show up. I don't know any of them yet. They're all like fucking big bald, you know, sort of ripped. They're all sort of short, but ripped. And they just look sort of tough. Um, no sleeves to be found. And they just play this fucking, and they fucking giant X's that you could see from space. You know what I mean? And they just fucking, like, I wasn't even remotely straight at the time either. But I was just like, holy fuck. These guys are like, you know, you could not appreciate it. Watch them get, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, hats off to them, and they should have fucking pictures of them playing live because it was, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. th that made sense. Not every band since then doesn't have to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like they did that. They made they made sense for them. It was fucking yeah. For sure, that was like to me. That's like that's the apex of uh of that kind of imagery. Is that right record cover? Because somehow Ray gets away with wearing like Nike track pants on the you know like and and it, it looks sick. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you have anything else on on the layout? No, no, no more layout questions. I was thinking I about, when, about when Tim mentioned uh, uh, about page turning because I don't have the vinyl. It's hard to find. Um, I, I'm assuming that wasn't a booklet. Then it's probably if there is any. No, it's like a, on the it's insert a, or the one sheet, right? Yeah, yeah. just the one sheet. Yeah. Yeah, I think the CD, I prefer the CD layout for this one, absolutely, because it's in color and you can flip through it like Tim was talking about, and then the insert for the vinyl. Although the insert for the vinyl's got that, it's got the razor blade on there. Yeah, I mean, I have the oh, nice. flip side of it. But yeah, it's funny because like all my effort went into CD booklets back then. That was like my mindset. Like I liked, and it's funny, I even like seven inches better. I like the smaller, like the albums, I was always like, what the fuck do I do with a 12 inch square like, mm -hmm. like a, it wasn't like a fun thing um plus in the 90s i mean by 97 cds were I mean, people still bought vinyl in hardcore but but like most like i was buying 
I was a teenager. I was just buying CDs. Yeah. You couldn't put a record in your 82 Toyota Corolla. Exactly. Nope. Or, or put it in a disc man, you know, or couldn't bring a record to school. Nah. <laughs> Plus, I mean, we're probably at this point, you know, as a teenager, your income is limited somewhat. So it wasn't vinyl collecting wasn't as big, uh, uh, you know, for our, especially the three of yeah. us, but, but new you, vinyl but want, was cheaper, but you wanted to yeah. consume the music still. Right. So, because yeah. new vinyl, like was like, if you look in zines, you'll see like, you know, $7 or $6 post paid for LP, $10 mm-hmm. for CD. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Back, back then it was, yeah. CDs were way more expensive than vinyl, but yeah. But CDs were convenient or are yeah. convenient. Yeah. As someone yeah. who still buys far too many CDs. I'm starting to buy them now. I mean, I'm, I'm, eh, I'll buy anything, tape, CD, record. I get all three. It's yeah. a problem. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's stupid. I got to tell you, though, uh, I'm a huge fan of Remain Sedate. It's probably like in my top 10 records ever. And oh, cons- cool. consuming that on cassette was my first, like one of my first memories of extreme music at all, somehow. And really? Yeah, like, um, you know, 93, probably getting like, like I, I still was playing tapes as as my main form of listening to music and just going to the record store and, you know, maybe seeing the name in a in a zine and then, oh, this is cheap. I'll buy this and just melting my fucking brain. And that record is still melting my brain. I, I listened to it this week to warm up for this. That's and cool. I cannot believe how well Remain Sedate held up for, yeah. f- for me for, for a, like a benchmark of extreme yeah, that, 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 music. That makes me too. Because <laughs> yeah. my, my exposure was the, that discography. The Protestant the, one? The or the cover. With the, the brown yeah. cover. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, um, what's it, it called? Autopsy. Yeah, Autopsy. That's which it. and then the the remastered version of Remains Today and Protestant came out mm-hmm. a few years ago, and that thing sounds even bigger somehow. And and it fucking I don't yeah, know. We, it's uh, crazy. Yeah, we crazy. I, I uh, we did that with the uh, with Chris Pierce. Not to I get too down deep down into the Ro- not to get too deep into the Rorschach talk. Sorry, mm-hmm. but I was no, no, always super. I was always super upset that all of the songs on the needle pack seven inch were not on autopsy. <laughs> the um, the no, they were on autopsy. They weren't on the uh, on the other repress. No, one of the song I I is it skin graft. The skin only culture. the skin culture only the Protestant version oh, the is Protestant on. Version. And I was I'm still upset about that today. He's a I completist. Tell you. Yeah. I, th- I I think that version is more enjoyable to me because the vocals on that seven inch are, you know, unreal. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's just my little. Yeah. yeah the New like... Pack seven inch fucking yeah. hurts my feelings terribly because a lot of it is woefully out of tune. Um, <laughs> I think and... that's part of its charm though. It's so, it's so yeah. fucked. It's fucked up music for fucked up people. It, it is. But like <laughs> the, the studio we recorded it at, the, uh, the fucking dude had this weird weird tuner like the thing was like the size of a fucking microwave and it had this bizarre screen on it and like 
you'd hit the string and I'd be like, I don't know what the fuck I'm looking at. And he'd be like, no, no, higher, higher, higher. Okay, you're in tune now. And the whole fucking record is pitched just a little high. It's, it's, it's not like, it's between E and F. Like it's mm, this- Interesting. It fucking irritates the shit out of me. <laughs> There's also a part in laryngitis where the fucking bass player completely plays the wrong fucking note. And it's the only thing I can hear. <laughs> like it it's fucking and like and it kills me because like i think that's the most bitching looking rorschach record i think yeah a, a fucking no um gatefold seven inch is not gatefold something that you inch. see very often it's great the um, yeah the 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 cover image i actually have a tattoo i got a tattoo of that before it became the cover art oh gnarly um you know, it's just like, I love everything about it. And then I listen to it and I'm like, uh, everything about it hurts my feelings. Yeah, there and it look, is. Look at how great that looks. It's Man. beautiful. Yeah, see, like I fucking love Seven Inches. Yeah. Yeah, that does look cool. The, the, um, and uh, I, like it's one of the few, I've only kept a couple pieces of vinyl, but this is one of them. Is it, is it, is Burning Fight a book? Yes. Yeah. I want to say in Burning Fight, they have the original layouts of that in there for you you know art nerds mm, nice or are you thinking is, are we thinking is Ra- it the, radio Tony Pops silence book? radio silence i think would be the one that would have sure it could be that one yeah <laughs> yeah well i only had this that cd and, and also i just remembered i was looking through discogs at the images and that was the first time because charles is wearing a big boy shirt and that was the yes. first time i'd ever heard of the big boys was because yes. of Rorschach, he, so. he uh to this day, a massive Big Boys fan. Yeah. I feel like Rorschach is sort of like, it's not like people don't know who they are, but they're somehow not given enough credit for being part of that lineage of all this music, everybody. We're, we're a, they, they were a, we're a critics band. We always were like, right. you know, not, not loved by the masses, but loved by people who know. Who know, yeah. yeah. You were like the, the, the big star of uh, metalcore metallic hardcore or something you know like the, no, like we all the, the bands star. we were the afterthought <laughs> like, <laughs> you guys also had like way more of that sort of dyi ethic for a band that sounded like that you know what i mean like you only played the five yeah. hour shows and all that kind of stuff so like i put you in like absolutely your own little lane right like yeah. that's that's what broke us up well there you go yeah, <laughs> i wanted to play seven dollar shows Ooh, <laughs> 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 fucking rock star you know, I, when I hear uh, She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not, I actually hear bits of the drum and bass, the rhythm section from Remains to Date. Uh, I forget what uh, the statue record, right? It came up that it had some tribal sounding drums. And I think Remains to Date has a lot of that. And I think that this Kiss Goodbye record has some of that as well. So there's like common themes going through all of these and i mean it makes sense because it's the same players yeah yeah, yeah. well that that's andrew i mean he's a fucking beast mm-hmm. he's an absolute yeah. fucking beast yeah there's no, nobody drums like him you know no no he, uh, someone he, he hits someone, those fucking drums like they owe him money someone did ask <laughs> and i don't know this why he played backwards he could hear better yeah He's, he's like the you know because you know we're, we're playing you know shitty little rooms with no pas mm-hmm. and the way you know the sound would would bounce around um 
when he was turned around facing us, he would get a little bit more of the amps, you know, at him as opposed to, you know, you know, kind of, you know, past him. Mm -hmm. So we could, we could be in practice and Andrew, he's one of those guys, like he can play our songs on piano, right? Like he just, he's one of those, I remember playing Metallica on piano one day, like he, like, cause there was a keyboard, I think in the studio or something. But he could be like, we could be playing, and we're playing at fucking full volume in a tiny room, and he'd be like, uh, you're a little out of tune. Like, he just knows, like, he just hears this shit. Yeah. And there's one time where um, we're practicing Sick Day, and there's a part where I do my version of singing in the middle, you know? Um, and he goes, not for nothing, but you were actually in tune right there. You know, like, you, you're, <laughs> there's something I was like, gosh if you say so like you know like it just has an ear for this yeah yeah um maybe maybe me feel good i was like okay i'm faking it pretty well but um i think yeah i mean he didn't do it like i've never seen like he did not do it for oh look at that guy playing backwards there was none of that like he couldn't give a shit like he would strip down his boxers and just set up and play you know because that was practical like it was just that was it yeah yeah, he, he's he's definitely the most musical guy I've ever met. Like, uh, I remember being on tour with him, and you know we you know stay at some fucking shitty punk house, and like there'd be a cello leaning against the wall, and he'd grab the cello, and in like five minutes he's playing the cello, and you're like, "Have you ever played a cello before?" He's like, "No, but it's just it's basically a guitar," and I'm like, "Fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, man." <laughs> Now he's on tour with Jay Robbins. He played the show and uh, I think Greg saw him play. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> Wait, must have, right? <laughs> no, that was. Uh... Yeah, that's Andrew Gormley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so life comes full circle. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, you talked about touring. So this came out. And um, who did you tour with on this? Unseen, Ricky. Yeah, we did two tours. The first one was with Unsane and Sweet Diesel. And it was decent. Um, it was, you know, a little bit of an odd pairing because, you know, Unsane, you know, noise rockers were not down with rev bands. And like, so we, we, we'd play like, you know, the Over 21 Club, you know, and there'd always be like a pocket of very obvious Revelation fans <laughs> who would come and watch us and then leave before Unsane played. And yeah, it was it was a little weird. But you know, but they were great guys. It was a blast. And I fucking love Unsane. So you know, yeah. It was great to see them every night. 30 something times was fucking awesome. You know, and I learned I learned a lot from watching them play too, right? Just their approach and everything. Like yeah, don't get so hammered you can't play. That's one of the things I learned. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was straight edge at the time, so that wasn't a problem. But... So they um and was that around the time too when they had the the little minor MTV hit? Yeah, it was, it was right after Scrape came out. So like, so they had a little a little buzz going. But it, and they I were mean, on Amrep, you know, at the time. So like, we all fucking love that label and all the shit that came out on that label. So on paper, it was like sort of perfect. Except the twenty one over shit. Now it doesn't matter because we're all fucking old people. But back then, it was sort of a. It was a killer. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then that was the one tour, and then you said there was another. We uh 
we were supposed to tour with obituary and or we did tour with obituary was it still suit i think so yeah it's a a wild grouping yeah and uh (laughs) that lasted uh, about six six or eight shows and then we were asked to leave (laughs) are you are you at liberty to say why yeah well i i mean uh uh I guess statute of limitations is up, right? 25 years. What what happened was uh, we were in our dressing room and the door was wide open and our bass player, Tom, was uh, not a death metal fan and he was just making fun of obituary and he was doing a Beavis and Butthead impersonation and he was calling him him Oshituary. Fucking Oshituary. And I'm back there and I'm like, you know, my head's kind of down because I, I love obituary. And I'm like, I'm stoked for this. And I'm like, Tom, Tom. And then, like, he's doing it. And I look up and I see the bass player is just stopped. And he's just staring at Tom. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And then we played the show that night. I forget which city it was in. I think. think Detroit? I, no, no that, that might have been. It was might have been Detroit and then we go to Cleveland the next night we get there and we go to load in and the stage manager's like what are you guys doing we're like uh, we're on the tour he's like yeah you're not we're like what I'm like we find obituaries tour manager he's like yeah you guys gotta go we're like oh okay and then uh <laughs> and then he, how many how many of our tires were slashed coincidentally I don't remember holy shit I don't remember that at all yeah, oh yeah, we had we had we had uh, at least two tires slashed randomly. Huh. Once one can't say who actually did it. Yeah, we had to get that. Yeah, so, you know, I'm also not a death metal guy. Um, I've become a bigger fan of the metal scene in the last couple of years because I think thank God they're all sweethearts. They they all they all love music. You know, there's like this awesome like just love of music that's like bigger like and it's not mired in the politics that punk gets mired in that i can tell anyway um but yeah i couldn't hum a, an obituary song if you paid me um and You're i good. didn't tour the band like <laughs> I, I like them too uh, but yeah i think the other cool thing with metal getting a little off topic but like we've talked before about how hardcore is kind of ageist like both ways now, you know javier we've talked about this and metal is not like metal Hmm. they metal dudes will like a new band if they sound you know like a band like you know power trip there'd be like 50 year old dudes headbanging right Um, but then at the same time like young kids will go see obituary and they'll be into it and they don't care that the dude's old enough to be their dad or maybe even their grandfather um they're cool because it's yeah, that's very brutal. true yeah and they're i feel like they're a lot more open-minded um so we could all learn a thing or two from the metal heads yeah i mean the the decibel metal fest that dead guy played in september i guess it was yeah yeah i mean the the the, the, the whole vibe there was you know and it's like i've never been to any of these uh the whole vibe there was like fucking hat people happy to be there and the, the common thread is they just fucking love this music. Nobody's trying to out cool anybody. 
Nobody's trying to out tough anybody, any of that shit, right? And I've never been to any of those Philly hardcore fests. What what are they called? This is hardcore or yeah. yeah. It's this is hardcore. I mean, th there's like always like a steroid convention. Or at least one of the bands is like, it's like the pit is like four guys who are, are working out their CrossFit routine, you know, and and it's like, and it's just a tough guy fest. And it's almost like back to like, here, hold my jacket, right? Like to their girlfriend kind of like it's just like men will be men and tough guy shit and I'm like God I fucking it's the it's in the Venn diagram of the music scene I'm part of and I accept it but I fucking have nothing to do with it and I'd honestly rather go to to a decibel fest than something like that and sorry if I offended a bunch of people with that frank honesty but that, there it is. <laughs> That, that's the reason we're doing this tonight is because I'm packing because I'm going to Maryland Death Fest tomorrow. There you go. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, like life. I noticed, I'm just like, yeah, there's something about like metal where, and that kind of stuff, like where the fans, you know, you go to some, like we talked about, like, you know, we mentioned Youth of Today. I love Youth of Today. I've seen them, you know, in the past couple of years and, and they're fantastic. They sounded great. You know, they had Walter and Sammy. But I don't necessarily know that there's that many like super young kids getting into. I, I could be wrong. It's mostly people like my age, you know, late late thirties, forties, fifties that like saw them in the eighties, and um, and that's cool. But like again, with the the heavy stuff, like you go to see a band like the Melvins, and there's like parents taking kids, and yeah. like kids are there because like they somehow just like kind of transcend the whole age thing it's tough to that, do that's it's funny um on uh on slayer's last tour uh i went down to uh albany to see him and uh beforehand we you know me and my friends went and grabbed a bite to eat and there was a family of four uh two kids you know and parents i'm gonna put the parents late 30s early 40s kids like you know 10 12 the whole family was wearing corpse paint. <laughs> well, and just sitting there, you know, like, sir, this is an Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, and so it's just, it's, I do like, I, I really like that, um, that aspect of it. Um, just, I, guess, I, like, I think, but Greg, to your point of like, you know, bands like Youth of Today, they're also playing material that's 30 years old, right? And there's no illusions that they're writing anything new. So it's sort that's of like, true as well, yeah. So that puts a lot of those bands in sort of their own little bubble because like, I just played a show with Bitter Branches at a, you know, it was one of those classic shows. It was in Detroit. Two guys have a t-shirt company and there are two guys, uh, I think it's called Edge Brothers or something, right? And they met through the hardcore scene. They started making hardcore shirts. Now they have a t-shirt company. Um, and they put on shows at, at, at their warehouse. So you're playing on the floor of their warehouse. There's t-shirts and pallets everywhere. And it was like, take your kid to, to the show day. Like there was like, people brought their kids to the shows. Like there's people there from like 14 to 50. Right. Um, and just there for just to check out the bands that were happened to be playing at this place that weekend. So there's still a lot of that, which I think is really cool.
but I think it's yeah like like you used to say such a specific thing and it's like yeah, and if you're if you're a young kid, you're like, oh, let me check out the new Use of Today record. Oh, it came out before I was born. You know, what I mean, it might be a weird thing for them to try to get excited about. I don't know. Yeah, because like I, you know, for people coming up in like myself in the mid '90s, 1988 at that point did seem like a hundred years prior, but at the same right. time, it wasn't really that far away. But now in 2022 yeah. talking about something that's 35 years old i mean that would have been like you know in in 1991 watching mtv and seeing nirvana and you know your parents being like why aren't there any more groups that sound like the big bopper or something <laughs> like that you know what i mean like it's just like well i'm curious have you guys seen the uh the circle jerks tour you know circle Jerks. i have i saw it last well i didn't see it this latest round but i saw it in december of last year with negative approach and municipal waste yeah so i'm curious like if younger people go to see that right like they were there yeah hmm. there was a lot of young kids there. there's a lot of old kids there but i think a band I like, like circle that, jerks i feel, I feel like circle jerks punk like, punk like that is timeless in a way right, yeah. like it's catchy. You, could, you could pick it up i there's i have a a seven-year-old and an 11 year old and when i go to pick them up from school there's like an older sister that comes to pick her kids up and she wears a darby crash crew neck sweatshirt like every day and like rancid shirts right, she's right. got to be like 14 and so she's still like there's still kids finding that kind of music yeah but that that kind of stuff is probably more accessible to a kid than youth of today or gorilla biscuits yeah right, right. And, it, and it also has the imagery too like the circle uh -huh. dresses has the skanker and i think that just yep. people attach themselves to that to that point i saw black flag with gin and belaley singing there were young kids there yeah right but, but i think that's you're a the same parent you're yeah. not you're not turning your kids on an ssd get it away necessarily you might start them with misfits the or something yeah, yeah right misfits. Yeah. Yeah. Catchy. instead of just blowing their mind with like <laughs> this is what the end of the world sounds like <laughs> yeah i'll just give them my i mean my kids have to suffer through remains today all the time so what are you gonna do <laughs> they're gonna they're, they're gonna be well-adjusted adults someday and just it'll be like pavlov's dogs for real they'll hear some fucking <laughs> fucked up harsh noise and they'll be like oh my dad ah. <laughs> nice right, great used it used in more than one torture scene huh <laughs> yes Pav, do you think uh you i think, think it's time, time for hot tricks hot yeah tracks. so uh keith you've never been on our program here but we do this thing called Hot Tracks where we discuss our favorite songs on this record. So okay. um, it could be your favorite song that you wrote, your favorite song that you oh. like playing. Well, I have to come back. I got to get the record. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go through and we'll come back to you at the end. Greg, since your mic is not on mute, I'm going to hit you first. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm pretty you know, these guys have a lot more experience with, with uh, Kissing Goodbye. Um, this is a pretty new record to me, actually. I knew, you know, the Dead Guy LP, the Rorschach stuff, you know, No Escape because of the split. Um, and for whatever reason, this one, you know, flew under the radar for me, given the time it came out. Like I said, 1997 was all about Floor Punch, Hands Tied, Oasis, Radiohead. That was kind of like, <laughs> that was it, right? But um, I think this 
is a killer record. And I, my hot track, I'm going to go with, you mentioned it a couple times. I'm going to go with sick day because it really has that like my war side two mm. vibe. And I like that it's longer, but I also know that 16 year old me would have probably looked at the track times on this and been like <laughs> this is too long like i'm just sure. being like where oh, is yeah. you know the first hardcore record that i ever heard was my war right. but i only ever listened to the first side for the first like 10 years that i was a fan because i looked at the back i saw the the you know the songs were seven eight minutes and i was like <laughs> i'll just rewind this and, and listen really to the good, first yeah. side yeah and now like i'm like oh man i i live for that stuff the the side two and the, you know um the more drawn out type yeah i think stuff. every fan probably goes through moods too where it's like oh let's let's fuck all these short songs we're gonna write write some drawn out longer songs and then you do that for a little while and you're like let's write a bunch of rippers that are like three minutes or less right so, you know what i mean it's sort of like yeah well it's like i've been like i've like i've been on a huge uh like sonic youth vendor and they've kind of done that you know did that through their career where they'd have the period where they'd write these like re, you know they had the stuff like goo and daydream nation with you know more like straightforward songs and they went kind of really jammy for lack of a better term and longer songs and then by the end they kind of you know tightened up the the songs a little bit and made them a little more accessible right. and, yeah, I and think, you know, yeah you just get kind of bored i guess probably as a writer and just oh well, all right we, we wrote like, long I mean, songs and i can't overestimate or overstate like how influential rollins lifetime and hard volume were on me of like just like having a song to just explore and just you know have the time to really sort of narrate and and just run, go the just i don't know I'll, sometimes it's fun to do those shorter songs and really build something out but there's there's those other opportunities to really just go deeper on a topic a little bit um and you just there's more time to find a mood I think right, and it's yeah. And I, I've always known, like someone describes one of my bands as like it's a hard listen, and I'm like I, that almost describes everything I've ever done, and I'm okay with that, right? Like that's like we never wrote this going, shit. I don't know, kids like a song this long, or like you know, do we need a mosh part? Like we never like none of that stuff ever occurred to us. I think we were just like like Keith said, we were in our own little world anyway. So we were just like, we were writing what we thought were the best 10 songs we could write, you know, um, yep. sort of just for ourselves. And I, I, yeah, Sick Day was a song I always sort of dreamed about being able to be part of, right? This like epic, longer song, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, well, it was, totally captures that Rollins vibe. And same thing, like, you know, I was into the Rollins band when I was younger, but I mean, like, I'm thinking of, like, the end of silence. Those songs are all fucking long. Like, I think yeah. the shortest song is five minutes. So as a kid, I could only take it in, like, small, See, you know. I, by then, they were, I was done with them. Like, I didn't, that record, I was like, I'm done. Like, because Hard Volume and Lifetime are so fucking good. And it's basically a different band. And uh, 
the, the, the one where his back tattoo is the cover, I was like, I tried to like it. And I liked a couple of songs, but I just felt like it was a little inauthentic. I don't know. Go back and listen to the demo version of that. He released oh. the demo version of that record, and it's fucking great. That's yeah. what I hear. I, it's not on streaming or anything, so uh, maybe maybe bad. someone in our Discord. I have it. I actually oh. because I read recently. I read one of his books when he was touring, and he said that those demos were released as a bonus disc for the album, but only in Europe. Wow. And it was like un unauthorized. And oh. so at the time it was like really hard to track down. So I, of course, had to go on a fucking blog and download it. So Greg, <laughs> I like awesome. recently downloaded it. So I will. I've wanted to hear them. Yeah. Cause zip he, that. he officially released them on yeah, his he own. Yeah. That... They're uh -huh. fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. Cause I saw like he played this free show. Rollins Band played this. I don't know. They played some show. Um, no, actually, that was before Lollapalooza, and that was like, I don't know if he had that material. But like, they, they're always great live, but I just thought that record sort of sucked. Anyway. There's great footage on YouTube of uh, Rollins' band, um, like around the, in the 91, 92. And yeah, I was like, man, this looks so kick-ass. And I thought it, his, his backing band on that, uh, like that era you know, Sim Kane. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, That's Chris the Basket and, and uh, Andrew yeah. Weiss, who did a bunch yeah. of stuff with Ween. Yeah, yeah, which I love Ween. And he, you know, did all this stuff with them. So, yeah, that, that, that was that was the lineup. Like, that was so fucking good. Yeah. Saw them a bunch of times. So, you're listening to Where It Went, where we exclusively talk about Henry Rollins and Henry <laughs> Rollins projects. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I um, definitely see a byline from like that Rollins era of, of Black Flag and you know what Kiss It Goodbye yeah, I mean, was was doing for sure. Right. And I was like, you know, Tim, I think they're onto us. Say what Keith? Tim, I think they're onto us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's like I wasn't pulling inspiration from any of um our other contemporaries, really, right? And you want to get inspired by something. Um, you know, and and we didn't sound like Fugazi. So it was like, you know, like and you know, like I was probably listening to a shit ton of laughing hyenas. Today's the day. Craw, dazzling Killman. Unsane. Rosis. Say what? Unsane. Unsane. Yeah. So th 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 those are all the things influencing me personally. And know? I do hear, I do hear some of the like Seattle, the sub pop, um, in some of the riffs. Like I heard some like early Tad. Hmm. Um, type stuff because they would do some heavy stuff you have a lot of noise you actually don't <laughs> i don't no you don't you're not a fan no not at all you are now Keith is like, <laughs> Keith is, underneath yeah. the metal is more metal He's, yeah sure yeah. <laughs> oh man the knowledge bank got shut down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't quite like when I told Walter that uh, the guitar breaking competition was his his U two moment. That's true, That's and he true. was he was he agreed. You can't, oh, win, them I, all. You can't I, win them all. You can't win them I, all. I've I've tried listening to Tad. Actually, I've tried listening to Tad recently. It it doesn't take, doesn't hold for me. Fair enough. Listen to Tad. God's balls. <laughs> yeah. The title. Yeah. A great record title. I mean, come on. Yeah. Solid. God's balls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
It's up there. All right, so who's next? Jason, what's your hot track? Ammunition. I brought it up before, but how the fuck do you write a song like that? <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome as shit, though. I just love it. I think everybody just shines on that song. And Tim's voice, I love your voice. And I feel like it, I like how it gets quiet in the middle section there with the drums. Brings it back. Everybody comes in together. But uh, I just really love the drums on this record a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the one thing we, we definitely put a lot of work into is, is letting it breathe, especially being like, you know, from our past bands, you know, Rorschach and, and, and Dead Guy, you know, if, if you hit three minutes, like it was an epic, you know, and, right. you know, now, now to be like, you know what, you know, I've, now that I'm like a neurosis addict, I'm like, no, you can let shit breathe. Let shit, you know, just, you know, take its time. You know, you don't, you don't have to be four bars in and out. And, and that definitely was one of the first songs that we wrote where we're just like, you know, we're just gonna harp on this for a little bit. I, and, I also know, think like a song, a song like Ammunition comes out of the fact that we also practiced as much as we did. Like that's the, that's the kind of song you don't write jamming once a week, I don't think, you know, I'm picking that up. I feel like that, like we were locked in so I feel like a song like that is a result of a band that's locked in too, right? That's yeah. I don't even know how to describe that song. I'm with you. Where like I just I just thought the dynamics were insane. Like I it's like I can't. Even, it's a, it'd be impossible for me to fuck that song up. It's like the dynamics are just handed to me, right? Like, um, but yeah, I don't know. There's like like I don't. Know, it is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And I watched the live video. And he nails it on the, you know, and everybody's just tight together live on this on the song also, which I was surprised by. It was not like it was a studio track. It's right, right. Is that the Kansas City gig that just surfaced? That one? This was from CB's. Oh yeah. wow! But yeah. it's a well, testament to how much you guys practiced and and yeah. Well, we we actually practiced starting songs with no count. Mm -hmm. You yeah, know, it would fun. just just be like a visual and a head nod, and just you know, and play. Yeah, like really that, take people off guard. Yeah, we we would practice like you know almost in the dark, like so you couldn't see. You know, like yeah, we 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 did a lot of dumb shit. Hey, I, I have a side sidebar um, because I was just thinking about where we practiced. Right, it was down by the Kingdom, I think, back in the day. Right. Yeah. And we had a we had a permanent room, and you could also rent a room. And there's one time we're coming to practice, and there's like a check-in area. And there's this dude with like, you know, shoulder length, bleach blonde hair, like bright green docks or something. Like he looks like he just shopped at the zipper head or something. Um, and I'm looking at this guy and he looks familiar. And I'm like, he looks familiar. Looks familiar. I'm, like, I'm like, holy fuck, that's Jordan Catalano from my so-called life. And I don't know if anybody, none of you probably even know who that is, right? Oh, I do. I do. I do. Okay. <laughs> It was fucking Jared Leto, you know, like, you know, the guy who played the shittiest Joker and yeah. whatever, his band 32nd to Mars. Is that his band? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm like trying to tell the rest of the band members because like me and Tammy like love that show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's that dude. And he's in town shooting um, that movie Prefontaine about the runner. Um, yes. I think that must have been him like, you know, doing his fucking band or whatever. It was so random, and I just remember the rest of the band going, "I have no idea who you're talking about." Have you like, watched the show recently? 
because mm -hmm. we we put it on TV. It, it was on one of the streaming things. It it really doesn't hold up at all. No, I started all, watching it and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Is, I thought my one daughter might like it, and it's like, oh, the big controversy is she dyes her hair, and I'm like, oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, nah. Uh, the world's come a long way. Yeah, but did my wife's right here? Ruby loved it. Yes. Oh, my daughter actually loved it. <laughs> so it's timeless fuck you man <laughs> well i mean that probably has a lot to do with the the 90s fashion being in right now that's true uh, it's the kids love to imitate my, my oldest kid is 19 and um wears a chain wallet because they saw pictures of chain wallets but it's not connected to anything it's literally just <laughs> a chain that goes from belt loop to belt loop because they didn't know that it was connected to a wallet that's supposed to go in your back pocket they just saw that <laughs> so it's they love seeing yeah thanks billy eilish for that oh, yeah. dude she was seen with a born against patch <laughs> yeah so there's a yeah, picture man. that just uh surfaced this week that i saw with the t-shirts so someone laid out a bunch of t-shirts and patches on the floor and billy just kind of picked whatever ones she looked was the best like there's a his hero is gone one on there's there a red cross and uh, there's a red, red cross, cross shirt thing. yeah wow. she, she just was like oh yes all this stuff looks really nice and punk i like it it wasn't that's crazy yeah it's the She's fashion cool. i like how much it makes people mad too uh-huh um tim what's your hot track kick it uh i think it's what if um just because like it's uh i feel like we did a second record that might have indicated some of the like you know it was like a less screamy song for me right so for me it was like mm. a um it was like a coherent rant i guess and i i don't know I, and i just thought it was like awesomely weird interesting song i loved the, the you know the subject matter it happened like i was walking to practice and the cop car pulls up in front of me two cops hop out and they they want to look in my bag because I fit the description of somebody. And like all of a sudden I'm in this situation of having no rights and just like, I don't know, it was a, one of those things that just hit me. And then I went to practice and sort of tried to work out some lyrics. Um, so I always just sort of remember that song. And I just, I don't know, I just, I just love how it fucking came out. Like it's just like a little bit weird. Um, the timing's weird, the whole thing's weird, but I think it, it works and i really like how the lyrics came out so that one i'm, not, I'm just a sucker for an anti-cop song too so there you have it <laughs> um my hot track is man thing um and that's a kind of a carryover from how much i loved the demo um it just kicks off with such a rager and you know sometimes albums can you can lose interest towards the end sometimes I'm a huge Fugazi fan and there's a few like where towards that section of the album, it's like, eh, this is a bit of a snoozer, but man thing kicks in and it's like, Hey, we're still fucking here. Like, wake up. We're still, <laughs> we're still doing this thing. Um, I love the, the like discordant chords in that, uh, in that song, especially in the first verse. Um, I, I, yeah, that's just, that's my hot track. And uh, not much else to say about it. So Keith, finally your time. You had a little time to do your homework. What do you got? Um, I'm just gonna pick a different song, although it would it would 
it would probably be sick day, but I'm going to go with Helvetica because it, it does its job. It fucking hits you in the face and doesn't stop. And um, I actually, I vividly remember, and my memory is dog shit. It is garbage. But I vividly remember um, coming up with the main riff when I was taking a shower Oh, they're gonna say and shit. Like, yeah. And like, I did too. I was like, what? Impressive. No, no, taking a shower. And like, and it was one of those things where like I actually like shut the water off, like toweled off really fast, and like went and grabbed my guitar. And it was like, I need to get this out. And you know, and I got the riff out and then like, you know, recorded it on whatever fucking shitty cassette I had at the time, and then like went back in and like finished the shower. And then you know awesome. went to practice. I'm like, and 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 all I had was you know just just the the first drift, just the da da and um, you know, and like I showed it to Andrew, and it was it was one of those moments with with like you know I showed it to him. He's like, all right, let me hear it again. Okay, I got it. And like he's like, I'm gonna click it off, and like he clicks it off, and like he just did you know those opening crashes, like, and I was like, oh fuck, like. This is gold. Um, yeah. So yeah, just yeah, more more than the song, it's more the memory of of writing that song because that really just like it just wrote itself right after that. Like that that was probably just a one practice song, like you know where it it just it, it developed right through. And I remember That's what being, hot tracks like, are all about. And I remember being psyched for that to open the record, right? Because it was like mm -hmm. oh, yes. like we were all. Like everything's yeah. just like yeah, right, and and, right. and, and like I say, when, where we would practice with no count, we would open with Helvetica, yeah, and it'd be no count, and we just look at each other and go da da da, and like you know, yeah, it, it felt there, really good. Kind of that, that I puff up about, but that that's one of the things I'm like, yeah, we could we're, we were that good, we could do that, and uh, yeah, that that would be my second choice too, because I'm. Um, First of all, those lyrics pop into my head to this day, and they make me think about different things. Like that song could be about today as easily as it was about then. Like turn off your machine, I, not another message. Like I feel like that's that the angst that drove that song has only been amplified. Uh -huh. um, and like even the idea of collect of friends, like I have enough friends. Like I feel like oh my god, yeah. that feels like a you know. I'll friend you or I'll defriend you. I feel like those lyrics keep popping back into my head. Um, but fun little anecdote was, so the song is about a very specific person who will remain nameless, even though I've told people out of school, but I won't, I won't put it on a podcast. Um, so I, I think of this person every time we do that song. My wife's giving me a look. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh Another part of it was I was walking down the street in Seattle one day and a guy had a shirt and it just said, fuck you, right? <laughs> Pretty cool shirt. And when you see a guy walk comfortably down the street with a shirt that says, fuck you, you sort of look as they walk by you. And on the back of his shirt, it says, I have enough friends. <laughs> so that's where the whole, I have enough friends hook came from it. Like that is stuck in my head and came out during Helvetica. Is that shirt in Helvetica? I don't know. It was, it was in a it was in a bold <laughs> here. It might have been. I don't know. It might have been Futura. I'm not sure. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. 
Well, uh, we got anything else, you guys? I feel like, I mean, we got to have another conversation with these guys. There's a couple more records on. Yeah, rest, I was going to say, so. Keith, where are you? Because I, I, I couldn't find the stats for the other records. Are you? No, this is this is my. Well, I'm on the the Preacher Seven Inch. Uh huh. Um, because we recorded those two songs at the same time, um, and uh, and I had left before they they recorded Choke. Okay. Correct. Yeah, you're, so you guys aren't off the hook yet. Okay. Yeah. How the hell do you do a fucking full podcast about a two-song seven-inch? Uh, <laughs> a lot of padding. A lot of padding. We, we're good at padding. You've seen that already. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, this was this was awesome. This was a really okay. uh, um, listen fun... because you mentioned earlier, and I, I feel like you're 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 almost letting me off the hook. Um, uh, I feel like I'm supposed to say my favorite Revelation record at some point. Hey, go yeah, for it. Do go it. for it, please. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do two. I'm going to do a seven inch and a record. Uh, the seven please. inch would be the Slipknot seven inch because that doesn't get enough fucking love ever. You have yes. a, a, a thing back there in your office, right? I see it in the background. Yeah, that is, uh, I took that down from a uh, telephone pole in the city. Can you see Whoa. it? Oh, wow. Good eye, Hob. I yeah. didn't see God that damn, Hob. So, I've never seen that. So yes. what is it exactly? It's a Slipknot promo ad poster? For, ad for the yeah, seven. It's just a promo. It was a poster. I think I picked it up like around the corner from some records. Wow. Nice. Did you we did an yeah, episode definitely. with all three guys, by the way. Really? What? Yeah. We got all three. So if people awesome. want to go back and listen, that would be episode 013, I believe. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah, is like it that. true that it was Jordan who signed them, right? Like Jordan, that, he, that was, he was friends with them. Yeah, yeah. he he like yeah. grew up with them. That's what yeah, I thought. They, I think they only played two shows, and I saw one of them. Right, right. nice. Yeah, they, they we talk seen. all about it. It was a fun convo for yeah, sure. They were great, and uh, and LP, I'm going with Hephaestus. Fuck oh, yes, <laughs> dude. This podcast made me a huge Iceburn fan. Right. They, uh, I will say, I will admit, I don't think they're solid all the way through. There's, you know, some of the records have a lot of filler, but Hephaestus is 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 fucking great. I love that fucking record. Have you listened awesome. to the newest one the, that Southern Lord did? I I uh, I put it in my saved file in Facebook, and which you know, you know, every like eight or ten months, I'll actually go through. So. Yeah, it's good. I, I it's a little be, more. It's a little more like like uh, in that Hephaestus vein. Yeah, really. Like good. Some some of um, I can't remember the name of the record. The one after Poetry of Fire. It's like the all I can think of is Polar Bear Express, and I know it's not that. I know it's got <laughs> Meta Met, uh, Meta Evolutions. Oh, Meta LP. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't crazy about that, but but Hephaestus is fucking good stuff. Yeah, it's Gentry is fucking. He's also a wizard with the uh, yeah, the guitar and stuff, and uh, super fun guy to talk to. But yeah, Hephaestus is awesome. Good choices. I like I like it. Good one. So all right, well, I gotta get I gotta watch the Better Call Saul mid season finale. So <laughs> I'm like in the middle of season. I might watch some tonight, but I'm on season two. Oh, ah. it just gets crazier. Yeah, it's nice. fucking great. It right. just gets I gotta, crazier. I gotta go as well, boys. This was fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Have fun. Yeah, and, thank yeah, you Keith, much. it was a pleasure to meet. Have fun at the fest. <laughs> I'm gonna go look for that Rollins record. My wife bringing me food. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> all right. Nice. Lucky. <laughs> See, See you later. Bye bye. See y'all later. later. What's up, everybody? It's Javier. Um, listen, if you're a patron and you're listening to this on, well, you would be listening to this on the Patreon app or website, and you would hear now me, Jason, and Greg talk about our feelings about the Kiss It Goodbye 12-inch record. But since you're not a Patreon member, then you just get to listen to this outro. And um, if you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter, then go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com you can find out that information and some other shit but listen oh shit I gotta shout out our top tier patrons right now Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focus, JPD2, Jeremy Holahan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Tyler from the Life and Death Brigade, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Uh, listen, I don't know what else to say. Uh, this has been a cool episode and, you know, maybe just, just try out being a patron for like one month. Just throw down $5, check out what's on there. And otherwise we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bit up,